And uh, if you think you're adventurous, if you've, you know, you're pretty brave, then just wait till you meet my next guest who joins me in the studio now. I'm thrilled to be joined by Adrian Hayes, who's a record-breaking adventurer, author, documentary presenter and sustainability campaigner. Welcome to the program, Adrian. Thanks very much, Karen, and hello to all your listeners. Thank you. And also, let me tell our listeners that we are on Facebook Live as well. So if you go to my Facebook page, Karen, on RTHK Radio 3, you can see, as well as hear Adrian, it's video on the radio. If I'd known, I would have had my hair done specially, but anyway. <laughs> I was saying before we want to know, you should look rugged. You should you should have a bit of dirt on your face or something like that. I'm, I'm actually better shaven than I normally am, but anyway. Okay. So, Adrian, first of all, I was interested to find out that you used to live in Hong Kong many years ago. I did. Uh, pre-handover, I was a, an officer in the Gurkhas, British Army officer. So I had about four years here uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. So uh, a very uh, great time in my life. And I come back quite... Uh, quite regularly for my work so it's uh, it's it's great coming back here okay so in your current iteration of life which, which you've been doing this for quite a while quite a while you are an, an adventurer but you've had previous careers firstly in the military and then in the corporate sector so tell us about that journey and how did you go from being in the military to being then corporate and now an adventurer yeah, well, actually, it started when I left school, so even pre-military, because I had about six years, six or seven years, literally adventuring around the world. I became a full-time, a, a gap year that lasted seven, and I literally was doing every single adventure under the sun. And, and I thought, well, I might as well get paid to do this. And so I joined the Army, two, two years in a Special Forces Regiment, eight years in the Gurkhas. And then, then I went back to get an education. I got an MBA. So I got no A-levels, no degree, but I got a master's degree. Uh, and as you said, went into the corporate life. Uh, I was selling Airbuses. But the whole adventuring side, which started from 16, just carried on more and more bigger, bigger adventures. And it was above all getting to the world of personal development, leadership development, the, the coaching, consulting world that sort of, you know, decided me to push it on to the, to the highest levels. So when you say you started very young, is that something that, you were influenced by, for example, your parents? I mean, very often people follow in the footsteps of their parents or, you know, their parents help them by taking them to do activities that they themselves do. How, how was it for you? Well, no, it wasn't. I mean, my parents, we grew up in a hotel, so in, in southern UK, and yeah, my older brother, younger brother, I mean, we, we also went to the hotel, but we, young one became a pilot, older one a musician. I was just, for me, it was just a bit of an escape, I think. I think middle like, child syndrome, you know, okay. just could be a escape bit Escape from the hotel. Escape, <laughs> escape, you know, a bit awkward, a bit rebellious. And, uh, but but it really was this, this fascination with the world from a young boy. And, you know, I wrote down, I, I've said this many times, wrote down at 12 years of age, all these goals, all these plans I wanted to do. Like, like, like what? Climb Everest, okay. be a polar explorer, um, live on a desert island, uh, join the SAS and all these things. And I think it was a part of it was adventure, fascination with the world and adventure. I mean, I knew every island in the Pacific Ocean, you know, I was going to, okay, do this exploration there. Part of it was probably escape from a little bit of a maybe a struggling childhood but um so it all started from them but it wasn't the parents but my grandfather he uh he sort of left school at 14 and he spoke seven languages i speak a few myself and so so maybe there was a little bit of of him my mother used to say your grandfather you name it he'd done it so i suppose mm. there was a secret desire to sort of really experience everything i could in uh, in life no so how do you go about um you know, going from writing down these goals, these dreams, to actually executing them? 
With difficulty, because in the adventure world to start with, first of all, when I was doing it, you know, I really didn't have the self-belief or confidence to actually really, really fulfill it. And I think that's what, when I got into the world of personal development, that sort of helped that side. But a lot of them are expensive. And it was okay back in the 80s. It was okay in the 90s. But as you got into the noughties, and, and maybe, you know, because financial crisis happened, it, it became more and more difficult. But, um, yeah, I, I think, but, so there's a financial side to make them happen. But there's also, you know, you've got to want them. Many people will have these dreams. Right. They'll have these goals. But, but it's safe to leave them in the clouds. You know, that's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice comfort thing. Think of them in the clouds and you like winning the lottery. And, oh, yeah, I'd love to climb Everest one day. Or I'd love to do this. But actually take them out the clouds and making them concrete goals and i said i've written down my goals since i was 12 years of age making them concrete goals you know you actually have to go and, and be very clear you write them down so there's a whole process so um so there's a lot of difficulty but you've got to know and i say even more nowadays you know what you're trying to achieve from from these things i mean and i think the objective changed for the early days to what they are what it is now mm. and you have two guinness world records right I do. You do. Yes. Okay. So, what did you have to do to achieve that? Tell us what they are and, and well, how you did them. I'll, I'll be honest. Guinness uh, Guinness World Records has it, it was the it was the book we all got for Christmas as boys. <laughs> right. Every boy in the UK got this Guinness World Records. It's become dumbed down a bit these days. Because you been, can have a Guinness World Records for like eating the most jelly beans or, you've, or eating you've the got most it. black jelly you've beans. You've got it. You know, balancing an egg on your nose the longest period in time. I mean, it has become a bit stupid, frankly. Um, and it's serious. It's, it's sad because the real records are, are quite sort of obscure sometimes, the book. Um, but I got the first one with no intention of doing it because this wasn't about achieving a record. It was for reaching the three extremes of altitude and latitude on our, on our Earth. It's called the three poles. The three, it's an adventure channel. The three extremes in our world. Top of the world, bottom of the world, roof of the world. North Pole, South Pole, Mount Everest. And I was quite happy. I know I was the 15th person to ever do it in history, which is pretty good for mm -hmm. me because they reckon there's about 150 billion people have ever lived. Right. 15 is pretty, pretty good for good, me. Yeah. Um, but um, it was the PR agent at the time uh, they, when I, was, I think I was away on the trip, said, you know, you'll be the fastest person. Do it in the shortest period of time. So I did it in, in about a year and a half, all three. Um, but the second one we did, that was the longest journey in Arctic history, mm. uh, my vertical crossing of Greenland, the world's largest island. And we did do that for a record. And, and I'm, you know, honest enough, it was to get the sponsorship. It's a world record-breaking attempt. This is what you've got to do. So uh, we did. So that was the second one. Um, the third one I haven't thought about yet, but I'm not so uh, passionate about that. We'll think of something in the future. <laughs> How do you actually come up with ideas for the next adventure? Well, again, and it's the thing everyone asked me. Everyone start, when I started doing the big, big stuff, and I said I've been doing it since I was 16, and through the through the noughties from 2000 onwards, they became bigger. And people tend to ask you, you know, every time you do a big one, you know, Adrian, what's next? And then you even think yourself, what's next? And, you know, the ideas were pretty clear. I'd always, as I said, I'm an all-rounder. Mm. Uh, if I was a pure mountaineer, it would have been big mountains, new routes, unclimbed mountains, all these. But I'm not. It's an all-rounder. Polar, desert, jungle, mountains. So I, I headed for the biggest goals. You know, I've always done it since I was young. And these big goals, it gives me a, a big joy in, in putting my head down for for a few years to do them. Uh, so so they sort of came, sort of came naturally. But having 
climbed K2, which which I know you're going to ask me in a minute about the world's second highest mountain, which for those uh, listening or watching it is is the crown jewel. It's the right. gold medal it's mountain. It's actually harder, right? Yeah, than much Everest. harder than Everest. I've climbed Everest as well. Um, some people say it's like two different sports. You know, mm. it's it's the Olympic gold. Having done that, there's a little bit of thinking. Well, and what you know, what do you do next? But then. Since I do that, since I did that, it's also sort of really being clear about what am I trying to achieve from it. Right. So the ideas have come, and I've got other things I, I'd like to do, but it's just uh, it's a changed world out there now because so many people are doing so many things. Uh, when it's become saturated, you think, yeah. well, okay, well, what am I actually doing this for? Yes. Well, let, let's talk. About, actually, I want to talk about Katie, but before we talk about that, you know, we can see all your external outer journeys, but let's talk about the inner journey when you are on a, a, an ex expedition and adventure and things maybe are not going well or they're not going as well as you like or you're just having a bad day or you're having half of a bad day, how do you keep going? Because it, there is always going to be some self-doubt that creeps in or some kind of feeling, as you say, like, what am I doing this for? Well, more than just having a bad day, I mean, some of them, like walking to the North Pole, which took us 47 days from the coast of Canada. Uh, and just there's a lot of misconceptions, again, with polar expeditions. There's a big, vast difference from going from the coast of Canada or Russia and doing the last degree of latitude, the last 60 miles, uh, 80Ks, which is a week. This was absolutely brutal. You know, went down to minus 60 degrees Celsius. We were in absolute agony, the pain from that cold for a, for a month, and it took us two months. Uh, so... You you and do it's, a, it's boring too, right? There's uh, nothing to look at. Well, you're <laughs> nothing like, to look at, but you're so on that one. You're so busy fighting, fighting to survive. Mm. And of course, it's not just about fighting the elements, but also putting that foot in front of another because you're having to pull a massive sled with a deadline to get to the pole within 50 days max. So we we did it with literally a day or two to spare. So there's not much time to think on these things. But um, it's the case of you know what how what what keeps you pushing through these things i think it comes back to look i've set the goal you know put maybe you know put this goal maybe years before i've put a year two years preparation planning sponsorships physical training physical preparation mental preparation and you know you're going to be going in, in this enormous pain threshold and it's just a matter of grinning and bear it bearing it uh, a, a quote i often use is pain is temporary it may last a minute an hour a day or a year or five years but but quitting lasts forever mm. just keep putting one foot in in front of the other and and in that case is it also a bit of a survival instinct does that just kick in because you, you're like if i give up i'm not going to get out uh, getting out of here well uh, the more extreme the expedition the, the more difficult it is to, to get out of course it is and uh you've you've just got to yeah just keep grinning and bearing it but i think there's also a, a case in point if you set a goal that's too lofty, I think this goes with all walks of life. It's not just I'll do an expedition. If it's too out of the equation, too vast, the temptation will be to give up because mm. it's just too impossible. It's like someone's got a weight problem. You know, I need to lose 30 kilograms of weight, 30 kilograms of weight, 30 kilograms, and you, you struggle, and then you're just, oh, it's too much. But it's breaking those goals down to interim goals. So the polar expeditions was every degree of latitude, which we crossed every five, six, seven days, depending on the thing. So 
There's the first goal. Little reward, right. some chocolate A bit of fudge. celebration. Yeah, a bit of celebration. Mini set and right now to the next goal. It, it's not about um, it's not about the end thing all, all the time. Mm. And it's the same thing, you know, as I say, even looking for a job, they say, you know, I've done a lot of work with this. Your, your best thing to do when you're looking for a job, don't ask for a job. You know, you're, you're after an interview after meeting mm-hmm. anything you do with that so yeah. get the little taking, goals in taking the step step by yeah, step yeah the small steps all right let's talk about k2 tell us what happened right uh, <laughs> so for your listeners and viewers um k2 uh, the world's second highest mountain located on the pakistan chinese border 1000 miles 1500 kilometers north of everest always got bad weather appalling snow conditions steep technical ice climb steep technical rock climb remote Rockfall dangers, avalanche dangers, massive altitude. Sounds like paradise. <laughs> uh, yes, it's not where you go for your package holidays. Uh, so most years nobody gets up there because, and the stats, 7,500 cl- people have climbed Everest, about 400 K2 in the same period of year, since, since same period of time since the early 50s. Um, most people don't get up there. For every four that get to the top historically, one dies trying. So one in four death to summit ratio. You've got to know why you wouldn't do these things. So, um, and what happened in my first attempt, 2013, so we're talking quite recently, mm. things were going wrong. And yes, we, we had a tragic, a tragic incident. Two of our teammates were, were killed by an avalanche. Um, we all went down, two went up and it's the old uh, equation, but you know, you've got to get down again. So, uh, so that written, that wrote off the first year, but I went back for a second year to try again and, and thankfully, very luckily managed to summit it. Wow. No tragedies that time. Uh, no tragedies um, and uh, all fingers and toes intact. So, but look, we're very lucky and it's, uh, and I make, I say, look, I'm not, don't claim to be the world's greatest or Britain's greatest alpinist or mountaineer. That's far better than me. I do all round things, um, but it was a big goal and, and I set my everything to it. And uh, luckily enough, got to the top and survived to tell the tale. Mm. Were you hesitant to go back after the first time round and the the tragedy that happened? For some strange reason, um, I was perhaps more hesitant the first year. I, you know, I asked myself, "What am I doing this for?" Waking up in the middle of the night, think it's too risky. You know, it's just, it's just it was just too much. But having not even really given it a shot we only got to camp two you you set up a lot of camps it takes two months to climb these big mountains you know and despite the deaths of the teammates it was just look you know i I didn't put all this effort and time just to give it a tiny shot and so it became an all-encompassing return and i mean all-encompassing and i'm doing this hand those on the facebook live Mm. feed can can do this you know it's the i'm showing a blink of mindset it becomes absolute compartmentalization. You cannot afford to have distractions, distur- you know, disturbances, doubts and everything, which perhaps I did the first right, year. Right. Second year was full on, full bore, full focus, um, a full on yeah. attempt and uh, it worked. And, th- and this is also what you wrote your book about, right? The most recent book. Yeah, I, I, I wrote it. It's my second book. And uh, you I was actually there, yes, uh, yes, and <laughs> one man's one climb, climb a yeah. journey of trauma, tragedy, and triumph on K two. Now let me just make it clear: I didn't go with K two with the documentary crew ready in the background, the book already penned, the publishing deal all there. Many adventurers now have got that. It's 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 already because of the objectives, which is to get their name out there. It was nothing to do with that. Um, it was a 
personal goal that I wanted to do. And it was two years after I was, of, I summed it, that I was asked to write this book by someone who was intimately involved with the tragedy. And that's when I started writing the book. But uh, it, it wasn't just, I, I struggled to write a book about the mountain itself. And it was only when I decided, look, let's bring in the other aspects of my work on, on sustainability, on sociology, on leadership lessons, on team lessons, on, on human development lessons, that bringing that into the book and the personal story as well, that it became um, what I like to think a book that's as much a lesson in human development, society and our lives in the world below as it is the story of climbing K2. Mm. Is, uh, what is it like being an author? Is it as challenging as being an adventurer? Um, Interesting question because I say I struggled for the first six months. So middle of sixteen, I was asked to write it. Struggled at the end of that year, but again, it, it's about getting into that flow. But turn the turn the corner of twenty seventeen, and I started writing in a cafe, which was another great thing. I read J.K. Rowling did this, oh. and uh, <laughs> writing a cafe, and also getting this wider perspective. And I go in the flow, and it's and it just all flowed. And I say it was really, I really wanted people to get a view on our lives down here as you get from there look there's very few people put themselves willingly into into the real prospect of death you know mm, and this is yeah. only hard as you mountaining that the most riskiest sport on, on earth when you put we don't do it to, to, with a death wish no way i'm a father for starters i've got i've got children but putting yourself in there and this absolute focus and this beauty of looking down on the world below that what we live in it changes our perspective and it's not just from k2 from everything i've done yeah. and and i'm really trying to give a lot of those lessons to people reading and it's been so rewarding people have come back with different feedbacks different side of things from from the book i, I think of it as a bit of an alchemist or a monk who sold as a ferrari but in a real true life story of life and death at the very edge of existence in our world right so you are, you have an event tonight right can you tell us a little bit about that? i do uh i've got a few events this week i'm i'm speaking at the hong kong literary festival i'm doing a panel discussion uh, next sunday the third of november but a public event tonight uh at the um ifc number two ifc two at the, at the ubs auditorium uh, on the story of 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 K2 and, and the book that came uh, through it. It's organised by the RGS, the Royal mm. Geographical Society Hong Kong, who are uh, fantastic. They bring a lot of people yes, here to, to really do. give enlightenment to the world. Yes, you, you know them. So th there are a few tickets left, and so if anyone is wishing to, the, to, to, to book, and I promise it's a very powerful story. Forget about me, I'm just speaking. But there's <laughs> some great videos and great, some moving touches. So uh, RGS HK dot org dot hk okay. rgshk dot org dot hk you'll see the link for the event uh, tonight starts at seven o'clock okay great well adrian thank you so much for coming to share some of your stories your adventures and if listeners want to hear more they can go along to that event tonight and do you have a website too where they can find out more i certainly do which is adrianhayes.com a-d-r-i-a-n-h-a-y-e-s.com which has got Everything, a bit of everything I do. So, um, yes, please uh, please link on me on that. And I always get back to people who actually write mess messages to me. Okay, great. Well, Adrian, thanks so much for coming in today to talk to us. Pleasure. And we've been speaking with Adrian Hayes, adventurer, author, uh, documentary presenter, sustainability campaigner.